Welcome, everyone, to The Scale Lab, brought to you by TechLeap. I am Joe, and I'm here with my podcast partner, the, if I'm savory, he's sweet, uh, Constantine. And Constantine, once again, fantastic guest. Am I sweet? You are sweet. <laughs> okay, well, we're staying in uh, in savory and sweet because with us we have Manon van Essen of Majoni, who is an, um, an incredible inspiration for many and has, a, has an incredible entrepreneurial story to tell. And we want to dig into that uh, today. Um, as a starter, um, Manon, um, what was a decision you made in your business and your entrepreneurial journey that was kind of the most important until now? Ooh, I think one of the biggest decisions for me was moving to Amsterdam and uh, getting into uh, a group of really entrepreneurial people. So we, we were in a sort of startup building with uh, all kinds of startups. And I think the mindset that was there and everything around it, what happened, so the how, how, you, how many hours you work and the, the stuff we talked about was very, for me a big lesson because I, I come from a small town and I, I didn't know all the possibilities until I came there. So that was, I think, the biggest step. What made you decide to go to Amsterdam? Uh, I always was quite, <laughs> yeah, quite ambitious. I think I, uh, I always wanted to, uh, to accomplish a lot. So uh, for me, my town was too small and I wanted to go over the whole world. But the first stop was Amsterdam because my parents was like, okay, this is far enough for now. And then you can go. You say you needed that um, for the growth of your company or was it for the growth of you personally as an entrepreneur? Uh, I think it really helped me with the connections and see the possibilities and also look more, more abroad and see the endless possibilities instead of uh, being more narrowed into the Netherlands. Because there were a few steps or a few companies yeah. prior to what yeah. you're sort of known for now, right? And was this move to Amsterdam like earlier on? Like you said, oh, I'm going to get out of the little town. I'm going to go to the big city. Yeah. And that got you into like the first idea? Yeah. Yeah, it was like... <laughs> For me, it was more, um, I wanted to be in the tech because I really like the, the tech and I like all the, all the um, scalabilities around the whole environment. So I wanted to be in tech and I was still studying and then I found out that all the big companies in the Deloitte Fast 50, they were scaling pretty fast and they all had the technology and some of them were about uh, putting your greeting card online or putting your photo album online. So it was Albelli at the time and Greets and Hallmark who were scaling up quite big. And I thought like, okay, can I invent something that I can add to that? And my first idea was, can I, um, can I get your handwriting, your personal handwriting and make it into a sort of real-time font? So if you type online, that your own handwriting shows up. And that was my first idea actually. It's like it a go? pretty good idea. <laughs> but I mean, like, where did it go? And it seems like a pretty good idea. I could stop writing because my handwriting, maybe I can make it better. My handwriting's terrible. Yeah. So how did it go? So, um, well, first I, I, I found out that it was pretty scalable. So I, uh, what I did is I decided to try to create the software and I found a company who already had a certain software, but then it was only offline. So you can uh, fill in a form, then you have to uh, make a photo with your iPhone. And then uh, they made a sort of handwriting that looked like a real handwriting. So it means with all the irregularities of a normal font, of a normal handwriting you have and collapse it in a font. And actually I just spent hours and hours uh, making all the combinations and created actually a new so a certain font and uh, made sure that it worked. So if you typed, you saw your own handwriting uh, 
popping up in a, in a normal font. And I sold that uh, software to Greets and Hallmark. And that was my first start, actually. So you did, you sold it? like Yeah, the first uh, license and yeah. eventually oh, the, the whole license, software yeah. because um, it, it's, really, it's a really long story. Of course, it was four or five years. But um, the first was I sold the software and then I needed to improve it because, of course, I'm not a technician. Mm. So I, uh, I needed more complexity uh, towards the, the whole software recognition um, but I didn't know what to do or where to go. And then in the end, I was talking to Apple and Apple said like, okay, maybe this is a cool product if you can upgrade it. It's really cool if you can, I want to make it like a new, um, how do you say, like a toetsu board? Uh, yeah, keyboard. Yeah, yeah new keyboard. keyboard. So you have your you have your Dutch e- keyboard, English e- e-board, and keyboard. And your, your handwriting. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that was my idea. And they said like, oh, I think it's pretty cool. But then I was also in the face that I... I didn't have a lot of shares anymore. So I only had 10%. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, it's not my business. I don't see myself. I was 23 at that time. So I thought like, okay, um, I think selling at that point was much easier than Mm -hmm. going through all the complexity of investing. uh, Who did you sell your shares to? Uh, I sold license to Greets at that time. And but at the it. time you said you only have ten percent of the shares. Did you yeah. did you sh- sell the other ninety percent to what, other co- co-founders or yeah. were they? they yeah. yeah. So there was an there was an a Swiss an investor from Switzerland, and he took some shares and they we sold it together to Greets, yeah. and it was fine at that time. Oh, so you sold the company yeah. to Greets. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is your first one. Yeah. And <laughs> you get a sale, like not a sale of the product, but a sale of the company. Yeah. This is like pretty rare, I would say. That's yeah, it. and and the product was not that good. Like it was, it was a sort of, it was fine, and it was good for um, less complex things like greeting cards. But if you really wanted to make it into, uh, for instance, like for handwriting recognition, it was not good enough. So yeah. it was perfect for that that type of form. Yeah. And so maybe we step through a couple of these because you know you you started with this. Uh, I guess you say handwriting, but then the next was printing or something as well, right? I mean, you went through a few of these, yeah. these ideas. So then yeah, I started, just take us through the... Uh, <laughs> it'd be interesting to how mark- you get to this conversation we're going to have today. Yeah, so th- the handwriting and the, and the marketing company was like kind of this at the same time. So I did like two st- stuff uh, at one time. And I did like all the kind of big, um, yeah, big uh, marketing ideas for big companies like... Um, Hartstichting, I don't know how you say it like in English, but like really, really big accounts. So I did that. So I learned marketing and the tech side, uh, but I was far more interested in the tech side, of course, because we made also an app with the handwriting and it got uh, 30,000 downloads in a couple of weeks. And we were a top 10 app in 20 countries. So there I really saw what scaling of technology can do. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. You can create something and then you can sit back and you get a download. It was like also a top 10 app in India, which is kind of strange. Um, yeah, so there I saw the, really the possibilities and that made me decided to go more into a scalable business rather than marketing or communication. Yeah. Okay, so what comes after that? <laughs> so yeah, uh, actually I quit everything and then I wanted to travel around the world. Um, but that time my relationship got stuck. So I said to one of my friends, like, okay, where can I go? Where am I alone? And they, they said, like, you have to go to Morocco, travel by yourself. So that's what I did. But then after a couple of weeks, I think, I already had a new idea. So I wanted to go back and uh, st- decided to start for myself. So you're on this, like, 
uh, trip to Morocco that could last however long it's going to. And you're like, I'm just going to go find myself and it's going to yeah. be, be, be two weeks later. You're like, nope, got to get yeah. back. I was like standard holiday time and yeah. you're back in, in the country. Yeah. It was not, not like anything for me, actually. I, I didn't like yeah. to being all relaxed and I, don't, I just don't like that. So, and what was the idea? Uh, well, the idea was to do something scalable, but then in food, because I thought like, okay, if I can make an impact, because I, I've, I thought I was pretty young and I thought if I can make an impact in software and someone someone wrote an article about me and he said like okay it's pretty cool what she does but it doesn't make any impact and I, I, I took I thought, that personally yeah I took it personally and I thought like okay if I if I have a certain talent or anything I can do um, I think I can I, I can make something and create an impact so I thought like okay what can I do in food and first it was like creating approachable salads to everyone. And then I started that in the food hall in Amsterdam. Uh, but that was, it was really one of my worst experience because I, I got from a software which got downloaded several times. It was a t- top 10 app in so many countries into a nine square meter store where I have to do anything by myself. So I, I created all the salads myself. I was working 18 hours per day and I didn't like my co-founder. So that was pretty important <laughs> at nine square meters. Um, so in two months I said like, you know, I'm out. Uh, so she bought my shares and then I was at the same point again. So I, I sold my shares again and I was on the couch uh, doing nothing. So I thought like, okay, I have the lesson of the tech where you know that you can do, if you create something and it's good, it's really scalable. And I had the experience in food that I really liked uh, to create something that people actually enjoy because food, I think, is really good. And then I um, I wrote down uh, all the criteria. So it had to be scalable for my new business. I had to create an impact. And what I really liked is that I'm I'm not from a rich family. I'm not, I, I don't have all the privileges that other people maybe had. So I thought, like, what if I can create something for everyone? And I found out that pizza is one of the most eaten products uh, in the world, but it's also eaten by everyone. So it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, pizza is for for everyone. Universal. Yeah, it's universal. So that's what I really liked about pizza. And I still like about that. Uh, The second thing was that I found out on um, Google Analytics that uh, cauliflower pizza was really big in the U.S., and it was uh, scaling really hard, but everybody was creating uh, the product at home by themselves. And it took a lot of time. So I thought like, okay, if 13,000 people already uh, created recipes and it takes me two hours to create one pizza crust, why can we create a pizza crust which is ready-made? So you can just take it out of the shelves and top it yourself. So that was the first idea actually of creating a pizza brand. But then I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. Of course. Well, you went from the apps to Morocco back to a little bit of food, and you're like, nope. So I'm not doing the salad thing. Yeah. And now you have a vision for pizzas. Yeah. That are universal to and everyone. My, my parents were like, okay, this is completely crazy because they, at some point, they were like, okay, what's she doing? And I was, I think I was 25. So I had, I had to find it out all myself. And then I just decided, okay, I'm going to bake 10 pizza recipes every day. So I did it in my kitchen and 10 every day. And then after a couple of weeks, I had a, uh, something that I called a pizza. And I still have a photo of the first pizza because it looks it looks hideous. But I thought, okay, I can sell this one day. I really believed in this concept. So, And then I uh, walked around in my neighborhood and I, 
asked the pizzeria if I can have a, a normal pizza next to my healthier pizza alternative uh, to create a new pizza card. Uh, I said, a pizza menu. So we had a normal pizza menu and a healthier pizza menu. And then I started testing. So every day I was uh, baking the pizzas, asking the people for a reference. And I think that moment was really important because I knew, first of all, I can use the story for eternal because I can always say I did it myself. Uh, second, it was really important because I tested the product uh, among 3,000 people and they gave me all the feedback. And so we, um, I kind of reinvented the product there. And the third thing was that I can say, go to a supermarket and said like, okay, already 3,000 people preferred this product uh, over a regular pizza. So there was a market about it. So, and that was like the first proof of concept of Marjoni. So... We did that in two it's months. It's very, very methodological. I think it's, it was yeah. really it's nice quite about, structured your, about and your story is that it, it's basically a software approach applied to pizza. Yeah. And um, with the validation and all that. But then there's another point is that you then have to kind of find a, a way to produce it at an industrial scale. Yeah. So the scaling is very different than if you'd have a software product. So how, how did you go from there? So you... You now you got your your um, your validation of the product. You have a customer base. You have a story to tell. Now what? Yeah, so that was really hard because, of course, if you if you work in a pizzeria, you get a certain amount of money. So it was it was kind of safe. So then I I thought like, okay, if we, I really want to go big, I need to cut all cut off all everything because I, there's no lesson to learn here anymore anymore before you because i think this is an in interesting piece you went to a local pizzeria yeah and you just said hey i make these really cool pizzas at home i've been making 10 a day i'd like you to sell them you talked them into providing that on the menu yeah but I, I was also the pizza maker so you went into their shop yeah and you said I'll wait and when one of mine gets ordered I'll make it yeah because or, was, oh, you're gonna make all the pizzas and I, I'll just I make made it. all the pizzas so you oh, you said okay I'll take and, <laughs> and only if I if I had to sell my pizza I got 50% of the turnover so, so you're like working on commission as yeah. a pizza maker and yeah. only if yours gets ordered otherwise you're just getting the hourly rate as a pizza yeah. maker and I had to buy all the ingredients so I was like Working so many hours a day. Those guys, like, what a what a great deal for them. But also for me, because I I was so broke, I couldn't afford renting a yeah. place to test everything. So I think it was a good deal for both of us. I think this is this is super fascinating because what you you have as a part of your personality already in the stories you've told, even before we get to Mangione, is a willingness just to do whatever it's going to take. Yeah. 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 You're just like, yep, that's the thing. I'm going to go do that, whatever. And then we'll just keep working it until we find a way. Okay, okay. But okay, back to the question. Yeah. So Sorry. How do we go from there to industrial production? Yeah. So I was in working in a pizzeria every day and I told everybody my story. So I was like, okay, guys, take it really serious because this is going to be a really big pizza brand one day and I'm going to sell it. And then eventually I'm going to sell it to Unilever or whatever. And of course, they joked about me all the time. And then one of the of the dishwashers actually said to me, "Okay, you have this big mouth, but how how are you going to uh, Unilever if you stay here?" And that really opened my eyes. Actually, I was like, "Yeah, I have nothing left. There's nothing left to learn here. I have my proof of concept. I know my recipe. I tweaked it. So I uh, I tweaked the recipe up to what it is now. Actually, so I just needed money, experience." and knowledge how to go to the supermarket. So what I did is, actually, I think the same day I, I said like, okay, I'm done making pizzas. You have to hire a new 
a new guy who's going to make pizzas. And I started to work on my business plan. And then I, um, of course, I had some connections from the tech uh, by then. So I sent it out an email um, to five, I think, of one of five of my best peers. And I uh, sent an email like, I'm hiring angels, angel investors who can help me out. So I, I turned it like the other way around. So like not, I'm seeking for like money, I'm but I'm hiring them. So that was kind of funny. So all kind of investors, um, they they responded to that. And then we got uh, three investors who wanted to invest in the company. One was international, was quite big already. And the other two ones were like seed or angel investors. So we had three kind of possibilities. And uh, one of them was Abel Slippens, who is the founder of Sligro. And he had a lot of experience. And also, I think he, he could tell me a lot about how stuff works. So also on a personal level, because uh, I don't know, I didn't know at the time how, th- how stuff worked. So I decided to go for him. For him and uh, you know, so we got the deal for the investing. And then um, I was already talking to Albert Heijn at that point. So that was actually... So we had then first the, the proof of concept, then I had the money and the investing, and then I arranged the production site. And the production site is also a really funny story because my uncle, he has a, um, he has a how do you say, like an uitzendbureau? Um, yeah, professional services. Yeah, profe- professional it's services for Polish people. And if the Polish people are on their holiday uh, to Poland... I had to work in the factories. So I knew a lot of factories, but also a pizza and focaccia factory because I have to work there all the time in the in during holidays. <laughs> so <laughs> I asked my uncle, like, okay, can you call the director and uh, make sure that I can have 10 pizzas? So uh, the guy thought it was a really funny story that one of his employees is starting a pizza business. So he created 10 samples, actually. And with those samples, I went to the supermarket. Is this the chilled version? Like, yeah. So, okay, so yeah. The, so this was like the product, what it is now. So they weren't tasting it; they were seeing it. Yeah, they they tasted it as well, and because they they tasted my samples, I created it in my own kitchen, and I thought, okay, this is really good. And then they reproduced it with my recipe, and together we went to the Albert Heijn and showed the mm. product. And he's still the producer now, actually. Yeah. Was the choice of the um, kind of the vegetarian components in the crust? Was that a choice of, I want to make impact, or was it, I see opportunity with that. I think there's an upcoming market for people that want better choices. Which, was it a personal belief system, or was it an opportunity thing? I think, like, my personal belief is, if if I want to do something, I want to create an impact. So, for me, that's rather, like, it's not a USP, but it's rather a base, a criteria, a standard criteria. And I think the vegetable opponent was component was more like I saw an opportunity with Google Analytics. So it's just data. Yeah. So the data showed me the trends. So that was more like this is a hot space. And yeah. I get and it in was there. more from a technical perspective. And I think in that in certain points, you can see that I come from software approach. So also in this point, you just can see on the, the trends on, on Google where stuff is Do you is have going. a passion for the product or the, um, did that, that evolve as you, because it like you, Basically, it could have been something else. It could have been yeah. uh, apple flopper. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, it could have been everything. Actually, it was just for me. It was needs to be scalable. It needs to be known everywhere. Uh, needs to be mm. for everyone, uh, and it needs to be a healthier alternative. Did you 
from the start think about international markets because you said it has to be known by everyone is that everyone in the Netherlands or no, was in the that world. the world yeah. Ah, yeah, cool. yeah yeah so I thought of course um, I thought internationally from the first start and in the first year we started we were already in nine countries and we we had a lot of requests from the from the US as well but then a scaling fresh pizza is really hard if you have to send it over to the US so I narrowed down my my uh, ambitions a little bit into Europe um, yeah so a lot of lessons learned also there about scaling with products which is completely different compared to software of course yeah but you so when when you uh, so you uh, you had your your angel investors then you decided to to do the production yourself basically in a in other factory but you, or d- uh, no. did you license the the, the yeah, recipe license the recipe okay yeah. so and but then the logistics and the and the sales which, which part of the this whole value chain did mm-hmm. you capture with Majoni um, actually the front end mm-hmm. so all the sales the marketing product development um, and ideas and all the back office we uh, we outsourced so all the the product Logistics is really important, and the quality, so the quality control. That you outsourced. Yeah, because you need all kind of licenses to produce uh, for European standards and also for the for the US, and uh, that's all the factories have their licenses. So it's it's kind of it doesn't make sense if you want to do it yourself, because the factories have the licenses. All you need, so. So there's kind of your point of view on the quality and then there's like standards in the yeah. industry and, it, and, and medical grade type of yeah. things that have to be met. And you're saying, I'm going to outsource. I'll yeah. put the vision, but someone else can do the... All the quality checks and the controlling, yeah. But it seems like a bit of a... This is, how do you... It's a chicken and egg thing here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, you have to convince the supermarkets that you can do this. And at the same time, you have to convince the factories that you've got the supermarkets on board because you've got enough volume. volume. Mm-hmm. How did you break through this? Did you did your investors basically pay up front? So they said, "Well, we would just we just buy cap- capacity at the factory." Or how do you manage to to, no. to break out that circle? What I just did is that I went to Albert Heijn. So I got um, <laughs> I got a um, a talk with the, with a category manager and then with the producer already in the meeting. So they were together and they knew each other because it was a big production site. So. I think for them it was like kind of formali- formality. Formality. Formality, yeah. yeah. So they have all kind of products from these producers. So that was really... They so they knew, knew the manufacturer yeah, they were using they, already. Yeah, so they, they knew, knew the quality was going to be good. Yeah. And then I had to uh, convince them about like, first of all, who's going to buy vegetable pizzas? Because it was it, it sounds really gross. Like if you hear it, hear it for the first time, I found... When I heard it, like cauliflower pizza, I was like, hmm, I don't know if I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so actually the buyer was like, okay, show me the data where I can make sure that you're you're able to do this. So what I did is I, I found a lot of influencers at that point and I asked them, do you want to take a video and where you say that you're going to buy this product and that you will put it on your Instagram account and that you're going to help me uh, yeah, ex- for exposure. So I did that, and on the other hand, I had a lot of deals with uh, with newspapers. So I had a, the Telegraph and all kind of other uh, newspapers on board who already said that they want to write an article about me. So you're using kind of classic uh, new a new world modern mar- yeah. marketing techniques into what is a very traditional, traditional old world type yeah. of bit. Your data that you're bringing to these. 
you know, the Albert Hein guys and everyone else is more like what an influencer would talk about than the traditional like line manager. Yeah, and in that time they they couldn't tell what like why is a trend a trend, and where where do do you get the data from? So I could help them with that as well. So I could say like I, I know cauliflower pizza is going to be a big hit, but I cannot tell. Like uh, cauliflower rice is going to be a big hit. Courgette pasta is going to be a big hit. So you can invent that, mm-hmm. uh, but keep me with the pizza, so I could help uh, this, them. This all, this all sounds it sounds great and super successful. But you know, I heard of many other companies that or startups that try to get into Albert Hang or, and there's either they don't get in or they fear that they actually get they basically get tricked out of you know that their their idea gets stolen by the company mm-hmm. and then it becomes a house merc or something mm-hmm. yeah you make it sound so easy you make it sound really no, easy no, no, so what yeah easy. just just yeah, go go into the kind of the detail you must have been really smart about this um well i think what i did is i just had a vision and I, again i just want to do whatever it takes to make it successful so I would go to Albert Heijn and wait for the category manager and ask like, okay, can you give me like one hour to convince you? And I did it. I got like, um, they, they, how you say like, they said like, no, for almost 30 times. So they times. refused you. Yeah, they refused yeah. me so many times. But then in the end, they told like, okay, this girl, she's not going to stop until she gets her way. So you wore them down. Yeah, and then in the end, they were convinced. Like, if if you give me an hour to explain my vision, I think then people um, they think, okay, let's give it a try. So I got like in the end, I got thirty stores and one month to prove myself. But it took me it it didn't took me a long time because I was really eager. I didn't have money, so I was eager to to get some uh, to get to get some uh, turnovers. But on the other hand, I think I was like kind of the first in the whole fresh uh, area of the supermarkets where I was able to put my own brand there. So if you look really aware into the supermarkets, there's no branding. There's no no brands up there. It's even, I think it was the same time with the vegetarian butcher, mm. uh, but I was mm. one of the first. So, and then uh, they said like, okay, we just give you 30 stores, then she will shut up. It's not going to be a big success. And then we are done. And I think that was the kind of the idea um, but also at Albert Heijn, uh, we had some people, f- some influential people who were really engaged in the idea like, okay, what if a girl from a soup, from a pizzeria can make it into a store and make it a success? So it was like, in the end, I think it was more... They liked the story. They liked the story yeah. and they wanted to to help the yeah. story as well. But you were not scared that the Albert Heijn knew the factory? Yeah. And if and you come with data and tells them, you know, this is going to be really big. Yeah. You know, they, why did they need you? I mean, they could have just cut you out of the deal and started making these things themselves. Yeah, I, I think that's that's true. And that's the kind of, I, I learned in my whole life, like I am not afraid to share or to tell my story because I think like in the end it gets better. And I'm not afraid of people because I, I found out all my life that people are really uh, eager to help. And I think it, it can go wrong at some point, but most of them are just really keen to help. And I, was, I wasn't I was afraid of that because if I was afraid of that, I would never do it. Mm. So it, it wouldn't make sense. Like the, the scarcity wouldn't help you because what if you're afraid of that, how you're, you're, gon- you're not going to solve the problem. So you got to take the risk. Yeah, you have to do it. Did you even think of it as a risk? Yeah. Okay. I was really scared of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you thought exactly of what he said, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What do yeah. I do here? Okay. Yeah. 
That's that's it's fascinating how it, now now let's kind of come up to today. I mean, you talk about which part of this you're managing, but there must be a team of people now that you have. So, what does it take to run what you're running now, and how many pizzas a day are? Yeah, so I started, of course, with ten pizzas a day, yeah. and now we're doing twenty five thousand pizzas a day. So it's scaled quite big, um, but it. Yeah, it didn't feel like it. Like in the beginning, it's like all the first steps. So you're going from 30 stores up to 50 stores and then you're introducing a new product. You're going to the UK and it's like all kind of, you celebrate all the small steps. And then if you took, if you look back from now, it's been five years, then you're like, okay, all the small steps ended up to a big success. But you don't really see it actually. You're just working on your product every day, trying to improve it, trying to create defense, get people on board. And then um, it just happened. I think my biggest success was the word of mouth. So people liked the story. So they told the story a lot to other people, to other peers. And I think really important is a really good product. So our pizza is best-selling chilled pizza product in the Netherlands. So it sells even better than traditional pizza. So I think that's the biggest proof of the product that it's good and even more tasty. Can we deconstruct the story for just a minute? (laughs) I I mean, because what... What I hear you saying is that, look, this wasn't just about the pizza, even though it's a great product and mm-hmm. we're very proud of what we put out. This story of small town kid makes it to the big city and goes and works in a pizzeria and then convinces large national chain to, I mean, there's a, there's something in there that made people want to, to sort of check that board. out. Yeah. So in a world where, you know, the at this time, I think when you were first going in, like the marketing capability or marketing, uh, you know, savviness of, of these companies is pretty traditional, like yeah. coupons and loyalty cards. And here you're saying like, we're going to Instagram this, we're going to get influencers. So you're pushing them, it yeah. sounds like, uh, towards a direction that maybe you were teaching. Yeah, it was completely different because first of all, we didn't have the money to do all the traditional couponing. So we had to prove with new media, digital media, that it could work as well. Uh, but the hard part is to uh, let influencers to convince people that the product is so good that they have to go to the supermarket and buy it. It's completely different compared to the digital world where they're already online and you only have to push one button. Yeah. Uh, but that, um, I think with real, really good recipes and uh, we did a lot of influencing at that point and we did a lot of tastings. So what we did is we stood in the supermarkets asking people to I always say, like, if you uh, if you feed them in, the, if they taste it, like, fifty percent of the people buy it four times a year. So we are only on new co- consumers, new consumers, new consumers. That's the only goal with Majoni. So Everything's new. new yeah, b- so new we business. need new consumers because we know if if you taste the product, it doesn't matter oh, where you taste they, it. The, they will come back. Yeah, the chance is fifty-two uh, percent that you will come back and you buy it four times a year, and you make two other people loyal. So for us, it's all about finding new peers, actually. That's the whole business model. Back to the data again. Yeah. Back to the data. <laughs> We're back in the software business yeah, all yeah, over yeah. again. Yeah, just, just you jumped over, you know, and then you go to the UK and it just didn't even notice, you know, I just that sounded a bit, you know, I would think going to the UK is a big step. Yeah. You know, it's not the same kind of influencer market. And, no. and, and so can you, can you unpack that for us? Yeah. You know, how do you, when do you decide to do this? Did you partner up with someone? Did you find new investors to do it? You just basically uh, tell the story about yeah. your international. Okay. So what, what happened actually is that it got really big in the Netherlands uh, pretty quick. So we were able, we didn't need a lot of funding to grow the business. So we were, we didn't, we relied on our own. And then what I do is I make quarterlies for myself. 
So um, what I do is I make goals uh, every quarter and I want to achieve them. So one of them was going into Waitrose because Waitrose is a really, I know if, if you know it, I think it's a really cool supermarket. It's has a really, um, yeah, it's really high quality. All, all the cool brands are there. Very organic. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to be there. So I just put it on my list actually to go to Waitrose and I'm, I think I'm, I did it the same way as I did in uh, in the Netherlands. I just emailed. I found out all the email details, and I just called and called and emailed and told the story. And then uh, in the end, I got an appointment. Um, and they were actually pretty eager to do it, even more than in the Netherlands. It was a lot easier. But you had proof points. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because we were the f- fastest growing food product at that time in the Netherlands, so it was really easy to. To yeah, to overhand the data and say okay, with this and this and this adjustment, I think it's going to work. But then we have all kind of problems. Yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. Well, we had to <laughs> we had to um, transport it. So we produce in the morning. We produce it chilled in the Netherlands, and then we transport it into the UK, and then uh, it got the sell it in the supermarkets the next day. So we have 24 hours. We have to do all kind of stuff. First of all, to get the supply chain ready and aligned with the supermarket is quite complex, uh, especially if you don't have any experiences like me. So, but finally we, we got all everything solved. So we got the first order, but then I found out that um, the cooling, so the transport, so the cooling aspect of the transport, it got into frozen. So at one point, because it got so cold in the, in the, in the transport. So the truck temperature. Yeah. And then the, the crust shrinks a bit. So if it's getting too cold, the crust shrinks because it's vegetables and it shrinks during cold. And then in the supermarkets, all the crust fell out of the packaging, which was like, oh, I was like, oh, shit. Out of the packaging, really? Yeah, so just on the floor. And it was, (laughs) yeah, and we got all the kind of really strange. In the beginning, we didn't know it was was because of the freezing. And we saw the vegetables on the product and we, we thought like, how is this? How can this happen? And we didn't know what the problem was. And then we had to solve it. And of course, I was so sorry to the to the buyer as well because I thought like, okay, I sold this product and now it it falls out of the packaging, which is not... Sort of the worst thing that could happen, really. Yeah. 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 So now, how, how, how long did that take before you sold it? It took quite a while. So what I did is I proactively called them and I said like, okay... We have crust and we have top pizzas and crust is for us it's uh, it's a way better and easier product. So I said like, what if we delist the top pizzas and we just sell the plain crusts and then if we solved it we gonna sell the top pizzas again, which was a good solution because every day in the supermarket where you have products that don't work is is yeah. a waste of yeah. money and yeah. uh, also of your image of yeah. course yeah. So that's what we did and then in in two months we got back but it cost us two months. Just to find out, uh, yeah. But they, they remain it, loyal to you. Yeah. I mean, you get so. stressed think, just thinking about it. I can yeah. tell by looking at her. I She's was like, like what? That was really the worst part, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you sold it and it was falling apart. Yeah. So you, then, and then you you were successful and, uh, and your company started growing. And then when comes a step that you start thinking about partnering with someone like uh, Dr. Utker? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how did that come about? Well, I always told about it because I, when when I already was in a pizzeria, I said like, okay, I hope I can sell it someday. So it was always 
part of the ambition, but I, I didn't see it as a real opportunity, actually. And at one point, we were in nine countries, so we were already in Spain, and we were in Switzerland, and yeah. That's through yeah. distribution. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. So, but we, did, we didn't do it uh, by distribution, we do it ourselves. Okay. So it's not that we, because we don't have the margin for distribution. Ah. I wish we had it, but it's not, it was not possible at that time. Because for pizza, you need a really big skill to produce really efficiently. So the production side got really a big problem because um, we need to produce so many pizzas, of course, for whole of Europe. And uh, the supply chain costs were pretty high. So the margin of the product was really low. And then I started thinking like, okay, for instance, um, UK costs us a lot of money, not only on the product side, but we already had a big marketing campaign. It didn't work out because we lost a lot of money on top pizza. So it was more and more the time that we had all the opportunities, but we didn't have the money to really do it. Mm. So then I started thinking like, okay, what is the solution? And really at that point, like three big, no, two big FMCG uh, companies came to me. Like, what if you, can we buy a steak or, and that was really at that time actually that we needed the money. So in that time we got, yeah. I you're, didn't you're think of Did you think of, uh, you think of a venture capital investor or, um, because now you gave, you gave away control of your company. Yeah. yeah. I really thought about the, um, the, in the venture capital, but the problem is that nobody knows a lot about pizza and producing pizza is really complex. So even if you have the capital or the, what, what can you do with it? Okay, so you needed much more. You, you actually needed the, the logistics sites. and the production and everything. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. So you need the production side in order to to expand through Europe. So you need a production side which can put out at least like 10,000 or 20,000 pizzas per hour. And there are not many of those production sites available in Europe. So even with our own production side, it's not possible. So you really saw a limit to what you could do? Or did you, did you also think this could be possible, but it's just going to take too much time too much money uh yeah for what like because we were at that moment our abit was really high and i thought like okay our ebit now is really high but if we're gonna um if we're gonna take vc for instance uh, then we need to invest a lot of money and what if it if i sell it then 10 years ahead from now does it make uh, is it as best beneficial as it is now and i also thought like okay now Dr. Utker and another uh, competitor of Dr. Utker wanted to buy Majoni all at the same time. And I thought like, okay, how many times in your life is hmm. that a possibility, right? People just competing fighting for, for yeah, yeah sure. fighting for the company. Hmm. So, but you retained some control of the company. I mean, some you still have some shares. I have some shares, but it was a uh, they they took eventually that they they will buy all the shares. So it was a complete uh, buyout. Yeah, over time. Yeah, yeah. but you're running it. Yeah. So now you now you run something that's been acquired by another company. Your decision to sell it was based on the opportunity to grow it. So yeah. you said, I want it to be larger and have more scale. So this is the right decision for us. But now you stayed on to, to run it. Maybe what are the lessons that you've learned, uh, you know, now running in this for someone else rather than running it for yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, first of all, the most important thing is that uh, our ambition to be the the biggest European chilled pizza brand is is in line with what I did. So I think that's the mo- most important thing. And what I how I feel about that is less important because I just wanted to create something really big. 
So I think that's the ma- main important thing. But also, um, yeah, Utker didn't do a lot of uh, buyouts or they didn't bought a lot of companies and not startups. So we had to learn a lot about culture, how to integrate uh, a startup into a corporate. And we we had the, how do you say, like this uh, strategy about... Um, we say we stay connected, but we're not integrated. So yeah. we kind of stand alone. So we we can do a lot of things Some for ourselves. Some independence. Yeah. That's yeah, all on the marketing side. I think the production is completely integrated, I assume. We're not not in yet. There. Oh, not, not yet. yet. No. Okay. But uh, in the back office, we yeah. you have to integrate also a lot of stuff. But we are only a, t- a, a, t- a team of 10. And we're, we're right. selling a lot of pizzas. But that doesn't mean that we're really small. So every hour that the company or Dr. Utker asked from us took us a lot of effort. So we saw actually the first year of integrating was really hard for the team because they thought like, okay, we have all this freedom and we grow. And then you also saw the growth stagnating because we were so focused on the backside. And we mm. um, before that, we were only focused on the front side. So I think that eventually, sometimes you have to do a step back in order to grow. And that's I think that's what I really learned from... Uh, from this part of the job, from scaling it and integrating it, and yeah, and and you look, you seem very analytical about about how you go about this. Uh, did you foresee these kind of structural issues with the product and the ability to scale it um, right up front? I mean, and so did you you plan this um, this exit with a with a large. Um, fast-moving consumer goods company uh, way before? Or did do you kind of take your decisions as you go along? Um, well, I think I always shout about my goals. And so I always say, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I think it's more about convincing myself that I can do it. And then in the end, it always turns out reality. So I don't know actually what which... Which came I think first. Both. <laughs> yeah, which came first, yeah. I think first the possibility, but in the end... I just, yeah, I can I can make it happen, but it's really, of course, uh, selling into Dr. Utger, which is a German company, international. Um, I always, yeah, I saw it as a, a really big learning opportunity. Mm. Like I was 30, so I was like, okay, if I can learn from this and I know what to do next time, I think it's really good. And in the end, pizza um, is a product that you need a big production site for. So it's not... I didn't see it as anything I could do myself. Yeah, a question a bit around that. I mean, you you mentioned that you trust people. Uh, you also mentioned um, Mr. Slippens of Sligo yeah. as an important person. Who, were there important people that you gathered around you to uh, to support you on your journey? Or did you have some very important hire, hires that you remember that were key to do the business? Yeah, I think like the one of the most important things was uh, partnering up with Mr. Slippens mm-hmm. uh, because he, he buys companies and sells them like every day. So that was a big, uh, big knowledge for me. And I also, yeah, we talk like almost every day. So he sees me as like a kind of pupil, like a younger... Uh, a protege. Yeah, protege. Who, he can teach a lot of stuff. So he teaches me all the stuff, how to run business, how to do it how to be good in food. So I think that's, for me, one of the most valuable lessons. And then... Um, that just grew or did he... Was there a point where he said, I need a mentor? 
or a coach and and or did it just grow out of the relationship that you had yeah in the beginning actually we we got into not a big fight but in kind of argument when we first met each other so it wasn't really a really strong connection on the first side but when i went back i thought like okay he really triggers something in me and and that i can learn a lot and i i'm all about more learning a lot of stuff um, so I think that was the main trigger in the end. Now, now it's the relationship that it is today, but it wasn't in the start. But of course, people with a lot of knowledge in food or in production side or logistics, they were really, really important in the process. And also, in the end, it only took one buyer at Albert Heijn, one production producer who said, "I will produce ten samples." But if what if they didn't do that, then the story wouldn't be like today. So I think Albert Heijn and the production sites were also really important for for Majoni. What about employees? Yeah, employees, I I think they're... For me, it was really important lesson to hire people who are not similar like yourself. So I did that uh, a couple of times really wrong. So I hired people who were good in marketing. But I just needed like the logistics, supply chain, forecasting, more financial sites. Uh, what I learned is that in the beginning you get really easy people on board who love the idea. And then you get into a phase where those people don't match with the company culture anymore. So you have to reinvent actually the people. So the first part was people that you liked and the second part was people that were like really specialists? Or? Yeah, the first was like people like the idea and they want to get on board with the belief that there was a healthier alternative for pizza. Hmm. And then in the second part, we got much more people with a lot of experience from the FMCG companies. Hands-on experience. Yeah, Uh, which was uh, actually in that time we we, um, we, uh, decided to um, sort of, yeah, go from an international business now into Benelux, crust focus only. And that made us grow like we grow now so fa- so much more faster instead of having focus on nine countries. Yeah. Uh, so now we're in large, uh, much smaller in countries. Who told you that to focus? Did, was that your point? So focus, cross, ge- geography? Yeah, it was Abel and Dr. Utker actually. Okay. So they said like uh, first get the majority of the market shares mm-hmm. and then go to the next country. Um, yeah, so that was that was really a really good good decision but that that came along with the experts yep. so in the beginning there was just this idea and everything was possible and then there was this phase of okay but what is really beneficial and where can we grow and what is necessary for the business that's a big decision that's yeah. to say we have a plan we're going to go to nine countries actually no we're going to stay on three maybe four yeah. and we're going to do fewer things so you yeah. really there's a big, almost a pivot in the company to like go down to that, like do something less and yeah. do, it, do it better. Yeah, and then you have this st- uh, strategy, but then you have to align the team who were in the beginning, of course, all international focused and then they need to focus on one thing. And what we also really did is um, adding the data into the daily structure. So every day people sell the, uh, tell the data how it's going, if we're on track, so really more, the tech is really more getting into the company as well. So telling your data every day, uh, work with small um, inventions, small leaps of uh, innovation, uh, go really fast, try to uh, try to create a new product, for instance, in a couple of weeks instead of a couple of months, which is normal in food. So we're trying to do, also in the company, we're trying to do a lot of new stuff. 
um, which of course takes a lot of energy, but also a lot of experience, which I didn't have, of course. So I had to hire it. And then I had to step back from that, which was also a lot of learning. For your personality, I'm going to guess that was that was harder. Yeah. Because you're like in there making all the calls, doing this, making decisions, shouting the goals. And now yeah. you have to say, hmm, there's other smart people. Yeah. And I don't know what, what's good. Yeah. Yeah. How do you manage that? Um, <laughs> not so good in the beginning, I think. Uh, but uh, now when I saw the first results... I'm like, okay, I really like actually this phase of Majoni. I really like it because I can step back a little bit more from the company. In the beginning, I was, when it when it worked, I was really about, okay, I like the idea and I like that I'm busy. And now I like to step back a little bit more and tweak a little bit more, which I think for me is also really good, but also for the company. So I, um, yeah, I really like this phase. I think there's a shift as you do these leadership roles in this. You have to understand what your real value is. Yeah. Because sometimes we think being busy or having a full calendar or things like that is, oh, I must be good because yeah. like everybody wants my time. But in the end, actually, there's few moments where like your time and your energy actually makes a big difference, yeah. especially now that you're at this point. So now you're having to decipher. And it was also really hard because I we used the scaling <clears throat> up method a lot, uh, but... Um, or our team is really small. Yeah. So that's really because you don't see the scalability, but because we don't see if there are 100 people working on the products or not. Mm. And we don't see if we get 10 trucks loads a day or 100. We don't, we don't know. So it was really hard to plan, okay, in which stage are we now and what do we need to do and do I need to step back or uh, creating more the culture? Yeah. So it's, yeah. And, and what are, who are you now in the company? What, what do you think is the, the absolutely critical value that you add to this phase of the company um i think like i, li I like to push the boundaries of everybody mm. so that's what i do uh, i'm like okay if this is the plan how can we improve it how can we make it better or quicker or, or less expensive and i they like think, you for it or they you drive them crazy mm, no not really because i don't spend that much hours anymore with them so I, they say like okay if you were full time around I think it was a little bit too intense yeah. but they like it in this way and um, of course because we have so many experienced people now working in the company they we kind of lost the the, corporate, uh, the startup culture sometimes and we're starting to think like a corporate so I think I'm there to remember them while we the start you're the guardian of the culture as well yeah. Maybe we can go to some rapid fire questions. So, so we have this uh, tradition now that's oh. developed where as we sort of get to this this part, we want to ask you a lot of questions very quickly. So there's no long answers, just as fast as you can, whatever you think the answer might be. And they're not going to be very traditional questions. Okay. Okay. So I'll give you the first one, which is if you could travel back in time and maybe talk to that person who was starting the font company and you had 15 minutes, what advice would you give her? I think, like, don't worry that much. Everything will be okay. Um, work hard and just keep believing and you will be fine. Okay. Keep uh, believing or keep living? Stay alive. That's you also, stay alive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we'll be fine. Yeah. As long as you're not a corpse yet. <laughs> that's right. Um, can you think of any one to two decisions along the way that you thought this is absolutely the right thing to do and you were completely wrong? Um, oh. Yeah, I, I totally believed in top pizzas. 
uh, which was obviously is, does make sense. Like Tapita to, means like a complete, yeah, complete, yeah, complete, complete yeah. yeah. And then I found out like uh, millennials don't like that because they want to create their own toppings on the pizza. Um, and I, I was believing in this and it cost us so much money. So yeah, that was one lesson. Other lesson is that I think I could have hired a lot of experienced people earlier on, but I didn't believe they wanted to come on board because yeah. I thought the, the company was too small to get really talented people on board. And I think I should have left that idea. Like I shouldn't uh, believe that thought. I think if I if I pushed it, I could have had better people on board earlier on. So you were in a, in a bit of battle with yourself there. Yeah. <laughs> Did you actually give shares in the company to uh, your options to your staff? No, we we built up a stock to, to mm. do that. But in the end, we got sold so quickly. It was two and a half years. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, if you could pick anyone in the world, living or dead, yeah. to get advice from, Ooh. who would you ask advice from? Jack um, Ma from uh, Alibaba. Jack Ma. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because I think he looks kind of chill all the time. So I like. He his- looks chill to you, Jack yeah. Ma. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you seen him with feathers in, in, <laughs> yeah. in his costume? Yeah. yeah but, but, but he has like. He has some vibrance about life and about business, which I really like. Okay. Yeah. What do you find the biggest differences between being an entrepreneur and being CEO of something that has to run? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a complete difference between day and night, actually. It's, nothing is the same about being an entrepreneur, being a CEO. I think I'm now more aware of being the role model. And uh, when I was the entrepreneur, I just did whatever I liked. And I think it's also good to have to have had both roles to see what fits you and whatnot. Yeah. Well, you're pretty public as well. I mean, you're you're into social media and you do interviews. You talk a lot. And your story's been told many, many times. Mm-hmm. Do you have an awareness of responsibility with that now as well? Yeah, I feel it as my responsibility to um, to show people that that you that anything is possible. But now I get a, actually I'm like kind of bipolar about it because I think. <laughs> You should tell people and you should, I should tell my story because it's valuable for some people or it can make them start their business. But on the other hand, I'm really introvert. So it doesn't stroke with my personality actually. Yeah. So I'm like, then I'm online and then I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. And yeah. How about, uh, how do you see momentum versus precision? Ooh, I think like for Majoni, it was a big momentum of healthier alternative. And I think you always need momentum to start the business because if there's no momentum um, I read a lot about that great ideas were invented a couple of years before they broke through breakthrough, but they didn't made it just because the time wasn't right so I think the the, the shitty part is that you can't plan momentum right? So maybe, maybe you can create it. Yeah maybe you can create it yeah. You did. I yeah mean, you, clearly. The, what you were describing about how you got social media involved and how yeah. you started influencers and and basically you created the momentum that yeah. you maybe you, you as you described it was from the analytic google analytics you describes momentum somewhere else but you brought the momentum here yeah well, and you the did, energy you, you get on the cre- phone and not let go yeah yeah so it's more about energy then i think and, and being being really stubborn about your ambitions and just go for it 
Yeah, yeah I have this feeling of we've been talking here for a little while that you you tell your story and it's it's nice and it's a polished story. But I have a feeling like that behind this conversation, you're like, you're tough as shit. Like you get on the phone <laughs> and like this buyer's like, oh fuck, I didn't, don't call me again. And like, and you're not telling us that. You're like, you're just like working them down and grinding them down until they listen to you. I, I, just the sense I get from our. Yeah, and that's, but that's the culture now in Majoni as well. I, I said, like, okay, if you didn't try it for 30 times, you didn't try it. You haven't started yet. <laughs> Once you get done with 30, yeah. that's the beginning. Yeah, then you can call, come but that, to my There's office. great lessons in yeah. there, but for people to remember, like this, you know, failure is is the, the app, you know, it's sort of the feeding ground for success, yeah. right? It's going to happen that way. Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't come easy. No. Success doesn't come easy. There's always a story behind it. I never met anyone who had success without failure. And are you, but are you masochistic, or is this because uh, <laughs> you 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 want to be an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. But you like this this this. She says this, she's an introvert too, by the way. Yeah, but thirty times and you know and, and hearing no all the time is that? I mean, do you get a kick out of that? Did you say that makes you you want to fight harder, or what is it? Or you just know this and you. You say, oh, I just invest no, I just that believe time. in it. So I believe that what I present to the to the buyer is a good option, and then they don't hear it. So I need to <laughs> explain again. them. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Let yeah. me repeat. No, no. Let me repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't think you heard me. Let me repeat it again. Like, and the just... other thing is, like, I I didn't want to be an entrepreneur, but what I, I was doing it all the time. So when I was young, I was selling flowers. I sold goose eggs for normal eggs to people. I did everything to. I was like really... You're hustling as well. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Always an alternative. Selling goose. It's actually a really big chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get more yolk. Um, so in the last couple of years, is there any new belief or habit that you formed that improved your life? Yeah, I really like about uh, what I do is uh, high performance coaching a lot. So I do a lot about coaching and improving myself. And what I really learned is that there are certain tools in your life. So I start every morning with a high performance planner. And it really gives me clarity about how to start my day and what is important. And that makes me less busy. Um, and I think that's really good because I have more uh, time for creation now. Yeah. So that takes me to the natural question. How do you structure your, your work week? Oh, I'm really structured. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we, we we're guessing that. So yeah? like, give us oh, a sense of like yeah, what is so it. So no, I, I always wake up at a certain time and then I I do some walking and I try to um, formulate my goals for the day. Then I plan like I do a sort of gratitude journal. So what do I have where I'm grateful for? But I also plan like what are my next steps? Where do I have to be? I always ask my question every day like what is the big project I have to work on even if I can't do it today. So what is really my big ambition? And I think for me, it's also about clarity. And then on the other hand, I'm also really structured about working out, eating healthy. Um, don't use my phone too much because I think it makes your mind cluttered. So I'm really about having a clear mind. So my thoughts are clear. So, so maybe if we lift it to the Netherlands and you're giving advice now to, to other entrepreneurs, is there anything in the Netherlands that you would want to change to make it easier to grow or scale a company because you've, you've sort of run at this a few times and definitely done it once um, yeah I think what what we should lose is the idea that fail, failure is not good so if we are able to fail and we can start um, you see that a lot of entrepreneurs their first business is not the success it's maybe that their second or third business and then it also takes a couple of years to make it a real success so we should give people some time and some space and some yeah, space to fail I think so that's a shift in the kind of cultural thinking yeah. about failure. 
and then maybe it's getting it, better. Yeah, it feels better to me now. Uh, Ten years total, probably around the Netherlands, than the first time I arrived. Um, and it was certainly worse if we went north, like if I was doing talks in Finland and things like that. With the failure thing was much heavier than mm. it was here. Well, yeah. also depends if you have a bank financing, then the, yeah, bank, the banks will make you feel <laughs> failure. For a long time. You failure for much longer. Time. For yeah. much longer. Okay, so I think we're about towards wrapping it up. Any other questions on your side before we? Well, yeah. What's what's next? Yeah. What's what's your what's the, the next horizon? Is it going to be? You say you 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 have more time now. You're taking more time to think and be creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it sounds a bit like you are on mini tours to Morocco again, and that new ideas come up. So what's? Um, yeah. What's, well, I always said I wanted to be an investor, uh, but for that you need money. Uh, so yeah. I think I have a little yeah, seed capital now to start my own investings. Uh, so that's what I'm teaching about now and learning about. Yeah. And I only want to do it in food. I think food and food technology and food commerce will be really big. So we've seen a lot of um, scaling up from the tech side and from the data side. And I think food is going to be next. So I want to be in that. I'm surprised. Actually, I, I'm, I thought you might break away from food, given that you were in tech and you understood the scale of that and how fast it could run mm -hmm. and how it's, you know, there's not a lot of so many barriers. Mm -hmm. Food is manufacturing and man margins. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so much what, different. What is, what in, what's for you the next thing in food? Mm, yeah, I think like food commerce is going to be next. So we've seen through Corona that, that you can order anything online. And I think food has started that as well. So I think I, I really like the Gorillas app now. So it's the, the, you bring your your, mm -hmm. deliver, your supermarket groceries. They're German, and, right? Yeah, yeah, but they're in 10 minutes in your, in your door for a supermarket delivery. So the time to, to on-demand food products and, pro and businesses around that is really cool, I think. And for me, I'm more... I'm, I have a marketing background and technology, so I like more if there's a really cool brand around it. That's what I really like. But yeah. but other things like um, lab meat and uh, mm, yeah, meat or, or plant-based. Yeah, I I found it. I think it's really cool, and I think I'm I'm curious to see whether we're gonna eat meat replacements or we just stop eating meat and eat vegetarian. So that's for me, like, do we need a replacement for that? Mm. That's my question. I think right? if you, coming from, uh, so we have a funny... He's from Texas. No, so. no, Tennessee, <laughs> which is starts with a T. But okay, uh, okay. it's a funny, like, yeah. uh, story. Like, when I moved to the Netherlands the first time, we were vegetarian. Um, had been vegetarian for like four or five years. You so had to we, eat bitter baller. We, we, and then that <laughs> killed it. No, we landed in the Netherlands and because we didn't yet speak much of the language and things like that. And at the time, this is maybe nearly 10 years ago, the, the choices... We're actually quite limited, and so we ended up starting to eat meat again because we were getting such a protein, yeah. you know, like depreciation, which we literally were like having medical problems because we yeah. didn't get enough protein. Um, today, it's much easier, but I still think that for vegetarians, there is a protein component yeah. that you know, if we can make protein easier for vegetarians, I think far more people and I think will find the way. What is happening now? If you see the meat replacing, it's not with protein, but it's with a lot of fat. Yeah, so, so it's, there's yeah. a protein piece to this, and people yeah. do shakes and stuff like that. But I do think there's, you know, in, yeah, in case you need I ideas, like the things like the, <laughs> the pulled pulled oats. So it's high protein and it's like a meat replacer, but it's not. And quinoa and things like yeah. that all yeah. have like the high protein. In the wrap up, okay. Anything you want to share? Entrepreneurs are listening to this, right? If if we've done our job right, there's entrepreneurs so, yeah. that are listening <laughs> and they hear your story. Uh, what words of advice? 
would you give to anyone who's thinking about it or, or is currently well, first of all i hope uh, that you kept listening and that you didn't <laughs> have you made it this far <laughs> yeah you made it this far and second of all if you want to start your business i think there's a lot of opportunities in the netherlands and there are a lot of there's a lot of capital and a lot of um growth possibilities at the moment so i would just start and have fun i think that's the most thing, important thing right have fun yeah And try 30 times. Yeah. There, and don't <laughs> freaking give up. <laughs> yeah, and even though it sounds really sweet and like everything just worked out so easily, she was behind the scenes just beating the shit out of people to get things that she wanted, I think, in a nice way. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> in a nice way. <laughs> yeah. All right, thanks yeah. a lot. Thank, Thank you. you very much for this talk. Thank you for listening to The Scale Lab, the podcast brought to you by TechLeap. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it on your network via social media and give us your feedback. See you on the next episode.